The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. Yeah. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. My wife and I had one of those once-in-a-lifetime holidays. They advertise them, you know, it was about a year ago. We went on it. Once-in-a-lifetime. I'll tell you what, never again. Good to have you with me. Dr. Ray Grandy program here. The doctor is in. The variant of the program is the Friday variant, the typical Friday variant. About 93.62% of the time, it is Look Back Friday, where we take previous calls from previous shows. Forgive the superfluous pleonasm and the redundancy. And extrapolate, embellish, talk a little bit more about them. The other six plus percent of the time, we do a live show on a Friday. Live meaning a call in, where you can call in and ask your questions. But right now, this is among the 90 plus percent of the program. So we will be looking at look back calls today or listening to them. And then I get to say more. Rather selfish on my part, but uh, well, it is my show, you know. So, let me see what I got on the book here to talk about. I had my opening monologue plan up this list here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, my, my, my. I'm running into a lot more of this. And this is adult children shunning their parents, writing their parents off putting boundaries on their parents at the behest of their therapist. The two most common words that are used are toxic. My parents are toxic, or the therapist says, sounds like your parents are toxic. Or trigger. Your mother is a trigger. For your unpleasant emotions. Your mother is a trigger. For your anxiety and frustration. Your father is a trigger. Now. I believe any therapist. Worth his or her salt. Would recognize that when someone comes into your office. One of the harder parts. Of helping them. Is getting a read on what they're telling you, how much it reflects reality, and how much of it is their perception. It is not unusual for, let's say, for example, uh, a young adult. Let's let's take a young adult, a 27-year-old, coming into my office, wants help dealing with a parent. And I listen to their complaints 
about the history with this parent, about their struggles with this parent, about this about this parent's difficulty in being around. It's, it's in a real negative picture. Now, sometimes the young adult is open or even requests that the parent come in. Okay. And then I hear a perception, a view of the relationship that is quite at odds with the young adult's perception. Are they lying? No, no, not necessarily. People see things through their own lens. So a therapist has to recognize this. A therapist has to recognize that what they're being told, what they're hearing from this adult, this young adult, this grown-up adult, may or may not be actually all the way it is. You can't know because you're not there, but but that's something to keep in mind when you're being told how terrible and awful and evil and malicious and vile and difficult and unpleasant and get your thesaurus out here, toxic and triggering their parents are or parent is. Now, therapists have a natural tendency to empathize. We want to form a connection with the client. We want to hear. We want to understand. We want to feel where they're coming from, etc. So it's easy to, in some respects, commiserate how, how terrible that is, how frustrated you must feel, how difficult that must be. And given that, a therapeutic bent is to help the client be more at peace or be more settled or less anxious or less depressed or less frustrated, whatever it is. Temptation is to say, well, you need to maybe get out of the situation. Put distance between you and that awful person. Most recently, I had a person that I know very closely who is one of the more faith-filled, kind, reasonable, admirable people I know. Very, very, very nice woman. Whose daughter essentially said, older daughter, I don't have any contact with you at all. You trigger me. Trigger me. Now, that was the word I think the therapist used. It's interesting because one of the things that you recognize is that when someone comes to a therapist and their lives are not going the way they would like them to go, too much turbulence in their lives, oftentimes they look at their upbringing or their parent, parents, and say, well, that's a big source of why I'm unhappy. That's a big source of why my life isn't going the way I want. It's very easy to look elsewhere than the self to say 
This is why I'm unhappy. Because of them. What they did. Very easy to do that. It's very natural to do that. So a savvy therapist has to recognize that this individual coming to them who is struggling with life may be more prone to look at their parents and say, they're the source of 74% of my disturbance. Maybe it's not 74%. Maybe it's 24 A theme that I see very often in counseling when people's lives are not going well. They're looking elsewhere for the responsibility. And who's the closest place to look? Your parents. It is distressing to me to see the number of adult children. I hate to say adult children because they're not really children anymore. Young adults. Better say it that way. And they're not necessarily young. Some of them are 40 and 50 years old and they're still doing this. Who are being told by a therapist, it is better for your well-being that you shun your parents. I have even had situations where the parents are shunned because of their political beliefs. Yeah, that, that, is, the, that is the toxin. They don't think politically like their young adults do. So therefore, they're worthy of being eliminated from the life of the child. More often than not, it's religious differences. I don't like the way you morally look at things. I don't like the way you practice your religion because I don't buy that religion anymore. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want any part of it. And because I don't want any part of it, I don't want any part of you. And you've got too many willing therapists. Rather than saying, let's see what we can do so you're not as upset by what you're describing your parents doing. Now, we're not talking. We're not talking. There are those relationships that are truly dangerous to somebody's well-being. But they're fewer and farther between, much fewer and farther between than the percentage of these adults who are turning on their parents. And it seems to be a phenomenon that is paralleled in the therapeutic office. Rather than the therapist helping this person better get along with these quote-unquote very difficult people in their lives... The therapist is nudging, pushing them toward leaving these people. It's a distressing phenomenon. I see it a lot. Hmm. All righty, when we come back, I want to see what we got in the way of look back calls. I'm Dr. Ray. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics. Every morning, 2 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 
Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Program doctor is in. This is the Look Back Friday variant of the doctor is in. Liz from Kentucky is talking about something that, uh, thankfully, more parents are becoming aware of. And even our society, and believe it or not, the mental health people are becoming more aware of this. So we have taken your advice for a long time. We are trying to raise those one in a hundred kids. So uh, she's our second of five going through the teenage years. We did not give them internet connected phones. She, they don't have access to anything like that. Um, when she began driving to and from school, we did get her a gab phone so that she would have that for you know purposes that she would need and also to allow her the opportunity as a junior to begin texting her friends but unbeknownst to us about a month ago we found out that she had gotten an old device from a friend been using our wi-fi in the house under our noses and had created instagram accounts and such and so she's been really spending a ton of time texting through those messaging, through those Instagram accounts with people. And, and praise be God, nothing horrible was, was going on on those accounts. We've checked them all. Of course, we've confiscated everything. Um, so I guess our question is, going forward, you know, she kind of shattered that trust. Um, and we were giving her those freedoms, so we were so shocked to find out, <laughs> obviously, that she. She just really wanted to keep on grabbing things that, you know, we weren't providing. Your freedom wasn't enough. No, it wasn't. So our question is, 
my gut, I mean, she's a junior, halfway through junior year, I really don't even want to provide her back the gab phone. I feel like she should get the flip phone and, you know, and we just need to see how things go um, for a while. And, and again, let her just continue to use the uh, kitchen computer for her homework as she needs to. And that's it. But she really pushes back because she is different. She is, you hear this all the time, the only one. And I think that was the impetus, obviously, behind this whole master plan she had going on behind the scenes. Well, she was justified. You and your husband are completely unreasonable Neanderthals. So therefore, (laughs) she is justified in doing whatever she can to get the amount of normal freedom that kids deserve. And however she uses it uh, is really uh, not so much your concern because she's much more aware of um, how kids behave now with these things, Mom. And you're, you're somewhere back in 1922. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, Liz. You're asking a question, and you're in between the lines. You're asking, if we do what my gut tells me to do, which is to pull back on this until I think she's shown enough trustworthiness to let the rope out again, what kind of psychological slash social slash emotional ill effects could that have, right? Somewhat, yes, I agree. All right. Because our goal is that she be intact. That's what we tell the kids. Is we're trying to help them leave the house intact with their own identities and not hooked into all this, this distraction. And that is beautiful philosophy. Something she may understand when she's 24. Right now, she doesn't agree with that. No. The idea, your idea of her leaving the house intact and her idea of leaving the house intact are like sinking a putt from here to Jupiter. So, here's the question you're really asking. Should we give her the freedom that she's misused? I think for most parents in the old days, when a kid abused a privilege, they losed the privilege. A privilege abused is a privilege lost. And many times parents didn't think about it. Just said, well, that makes total sense. You misused it. You lost it. Not anymore. Now it's, yeah, but I don't know the resentment, the psychological repercussions, especially smart devices. Ooh, ooh, there's all kinds of social intricacies involved and we can't calculate and will we make a bad move and that's what torments parents so you and your husband make a decision has she shown us she's trustworthy if your answer to that is no no she hasn't we thought we were letting the rope out but she she ran with that rope mm-hmm. we let it out 20 feet and she ran 120 feet So that's telling you something. It's telling you that at this point, for whatever her reasons, uh, she's going to reach for whatever she thinks she can reach for. And if you say, I don't think that's good, then you're forced to make a decision. The decision will be, well, am I going to live with the repercussions of her anger, of her resentment, of whatever it is? Because I think the downside of the other is even worse. 
Or am I going to say, well, okay, I'll just take it for a week and then let's hope that she she gets better after that week? I mean, that's what's facing you, Liz. I have seen nothing. When I started as a psychologist 40-plus years ago, none of these were issues. The issues were television, maybe to some degree the computer, but even then the computer wasn't coming into the houses hardly at all. None of this was something the parents faced. It is now the number one source of serious friction between parents who are conscientious about these things. If a parent's not conscientious about it, it's not a source of friction. The parents give the phone because, well, that's the age that kids get it. All their friends have it. So there you go. But any parent who attempts to either limit the phone's reach or limit the phone or eliminate the phone gets pushback of a strength that they've never confronted, ever. My youngest daughter, she's about 16, abused the phone. So we took it. Uh, Well, actually, no, I'm wrong about that. I don't think we gave her permission for a phone. I think she got one. And then we found out about it, so we took it. And then she got four or five more phones after that from friends. Because her friend's views were, I have an old phone here. You take this. Your parents are completely wrong. You need to be saved from your parents. Now, she's in her 20s now. And we, we passed through that era of all of that. But at the time, it was the number one face-off. Liz is seeing that her daughter's view is, you are completely wrong. I have every right to do whatever I can to get around you because 99% of people out there don't think like you regarding this. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a lot of parents. It's kind of like the cancel culture. There are a lot of parents who would say, I really have great reservations about this kind of phone freedom. I really do. I really have great reservations about the kind of phone they want. They're never, no, they would never be satisfied remotely without the latest and greatest phone, without complete internet access, without total media social access. But they're too afraid to do anything about it. Or the hassle would be too, too great. Or they just view it as, well, that's kind of the way it is now, so let's just see where it goes. I don't know the numbers. If I were probably back in grad school, I'd set up some kind of survey to find out how many parents, if they had their druthers as parents, would limit or curtail or eliminate a smartphone from their kids' lives. Now, one good news is this. There's a lot coming out now from more and more directions that are saying, this is not good. Smartphone social media use is now directly linked to the levels of depression and anxiety, particularly among teenage girls. 
coming out. More and more, it's coming out. There is even talk about eliminating social media for kids under a certain age. I think this would all be wonderful stuff. I think it's far away because I don't think there's enough of a movement. I don't know how bad it's got to get. Liz clearly is in a tiny minority of parents, especially given her daughter's age. And as I said in the call, what is she willing to live with? How will that resentment manifest itself? And will she decide that that is the lesser of her bad options? Are you into setting goals for yourself? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Setting realistic goals is a practice we can all utilize. SMART, S-M-A-R-T, is an acronym that can help us keep our goals real. S is for specific. Narrow down your goals and make a deadline. M is for measurable. We live in a world that tracks numbers and data. Concrete numbers can help us track progress. A is for attainable. Sometimes we think too big or bite off more than we can chew. Be patient, Scripture tells us. Rome wasn't built in a day. The R is for relevant. Relevant goals can be determined through our own values. Stay dedicated to how God wired you and what you stand for. Finally, T. This is time-bound. Write down your timelines and deadlines to keep you on track and honest. Without these, it's hard to maintain success. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Americans are curious about the religious devotion of others and are willing to discuss the topic but most say they rarely have conversations about faith with their Christian friends. A study by LifeWay Research finding Americans are widely receptive to spiritual conversations in a variety of settings. Now, perhaps more than ever, people are open to conversions about faith, yet few Christians actually, Christians, actually take the opportunity to engage in personal evangelism. The reason conversations are not happening about the Christian faith is that Christians are not bringing it up. And I think this is key. Now, this person is not saying we shouldn't be concerned about religious liberty in the sense of, yes, there is great persecution out there. But at the end of the day, it is about the fact that we're not doing enough talking about Jesus. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Plumber fixes a leak in a doctor's house and bills him a thousand bucks. The doctor says, it's ridiculous. I don't even charge that much. Plumber says, neither did I when I was a doctor. <laughs> now I'm telling a lot of kids nowadays and I'm hoping the message is getting through that the trades are hurting so badly out there. There's been this massive rush the last 20, 30, 40 years to get bachelor's degrees, bachelor of arts degrees, that for many, many children, perhaps half or more, they don't use them. 
for their career. So something, a statistic that said 50% don't use their Bachelor of Art degree, and by 10 years later, 90% are not using it in their work field. The trades, oh my gosh, there's so much need at every level, electricians and plumbers and carpenters and just endless welders that can make massive amounts of money. Just talking to a guy the other day, he says he trains guys to be welders, and they, they, they if they're a through the program and they get a master's welder certificate through the program, they start at 160 grand a year. That's more than Andrew Kruchek makes my producer man over there at Ann Arbor. Uh, Katie from Ohio, she has a question. Her sister-in-law has been diagnosed with bipolar. But is that her only problem? It is my sister-in-law, and she was diagnosed years and years ago as a teenager. She was unmedicated for a long, long time and is finally back on meds and is needing help from the family for different things. But we're kind of starting to wonder if some of it is the bipolar or if some of it is just plain flat-out manipulation because things are not going the way she wants them to. Has she always been difficult? Not really. I mean, she was off medication for over a year, so that made her behavior very erratic and very difficult. But... She can be a very easy person to get along with, but she's also in a very high-stress situation and going through a divorce. Is she mean to people? Uh, yeah, I w- that would be a nice way to summarize it. <laughs> well, here's a couple of things, and obviously I can't in any way question the diagnosis because I don't know. A right. lot of teens get diagnosed bipolar, and one of the reasons they do is because they're moody and emotional, and they fluctuate. And uh, there is research that indicates, uh, even out of Harvard Medical School, that the bipolar diagnosis is overdiagnosed. Now, in its clinical manifestation, it would mean she either cycles into periods of depression and then back up to periods of normal functioning, or... She cycles all the way from depression into mania, and the mania is obviously pretty crazy looking. Does she get oh, into yeah. those? Okay, so she gets into those periods. Yeah, and she's in her 40s now, so we've right. been seeing this for, you know, over 20 years. All right. Now, that doesn't mean when she's on medication and she's reasonably stable, that doesn't mean that everything she does is out of her control. In all likelihood, most of what she does is in her control if she is relatively stable. If she's not driven by this manic craziness that can come upon her that's so obvious, as you seem to describe it, where she's hallucinating or she's energy off the charts or she is fevered pitch in terms of her conduct. When she's not like that, then you're seeing her personality, as it intermingles with her diagnosis. So, in all likelihood, uh, a lot of her difficult personality may may just be underneath it all who she is. Okay. You know, uh, she's being manipulative. She's being manipulative. And, and you, you, you recognize that. Now, that doesn't mean... Let's say, let's say that even if 22% of her behavior is 
caused by the bipolar neurochemical upheaval. Let's just say that. Only God, only God knows okay. if it's 22 percent. Let's just say. Well, okay. does that mean you should still be manipulated? No. Right. I mean, if it's manipulative no. behavior and she's not overtly crazy while she's doing this, then you can probably rightly attribute it to her her personal ways. Okay. Especially when she's under stress, like you said she's gone through now. Right. She's under a tremendous amount of stress, and she's only been back on medication a short time, and I don't think that's all been sorted out like the right meds, the right dose. She's still going through that process. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully that'll... So I know that'll there's st- some of that. All right. It'll stabilize her. But when her behavior is qualitatively agitated beyond her normal personality, then you can say, okay, the bipolar is kicking in and it's exacerbating everything. But when it's not, then you kind of got to deal with her as she is as a person. Back in the 80s, I did intake evaluations for a local state institution. It's called, at the time, Maslin State Hospital. Masson State, at its peak census, had about 4,000 residents. These were folks who had, they struggled with severe mental disorders at the time. And when they were under somewhat medication control, their behavior could still be difficult. Socially inappropriate, aggressive. A motivated, and the staff had to sort out how much of it was under their control. And a simple rule of thumb was if they were not overtly psychotic, you had to deal with their underlying personality. And I, and I think that's Liz's struggle here, which is for 20 years plus, Her sister has kind of moved in and out of exacerbation of her bipolar disorder. But for the most part, in between, she's run her life poorly. She's apparently in a marriage that's not working out. She's getting a divorce or he's divorcing her or she's divorcing him out of unhappiness. Who knows? But there is an awful lot of personality struggle. Only tentatively related perhaps, to the diagnoses. You can be, and in fact, it's probably more common, that you can have a mental health disorder diagnosis and still be overall problematic in your social relations and in your self-control. Not everything. As a matter of fact, probably most of what you're doing is not directly related to the disorder. So Liz's confusion is very common that people have, which is, okay, here's their diagnosis. Now, how much of what they're doing is directly related to this diagnosis? And in most cases, unless the diagnosis is flaring up terribly, you have to deal with the conduct as it is presenting itself.
60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. This commandment is similar to the Ninth because it uses the word covet, which means to inordinately or inappropriately desire something. And therefore, related to this are concepts that are familiar to us, such as greed or avarice, which is the undue passion for riches and power. Likewise, envy and jealousy are related here. In jealousy, you have something that I want, but I want it inappropriately or excessively. Envy, however, is a very dark thing because it wants to destroy that which is good in another person because it makes me look bad by comparison. And so in all these ways, the Lord is asking us to look very carefully to our desires because they can grow too expansive and lead us into very grave sins. The Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. The Catechism of the Catholic Church on Animals, paragraph 2417. God entrusted animals to the stewardship of those whom he created in his own image. It is legitimate to use animals for food and clothing. They may be domesticated to help man in his work. Medical and scientific experimentation on animals is a morally acceptable practice if it remains within reasonable limits and contributes to caring for or saving human lives. It is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. It is likewise unworthy to spend money on them that should, as a priority, go to the relief of human misery. So the Catechism is quite clear. We have a great duty to exhibit kindness to animals and at the same time understand that animals were created not for their own sake, but for the sake of the human. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Good to have you with me, Dr. Rigorindi. Just couldn't get those hands to do that quick enough. All right. This is Look Back Friday. So let's take on address another look back question. Um, it's coming from Susan in Michigan. <sighs> Depending upon where you live, you can't necessarily pick your neighbors. So Susan's having a little trouble with one of hers. Actually, she lives above us. We've been living there for 29 and a half years, and um, she's known around the whole complex as not being very, a not very happy person. Um, I've been on the board twice, and so I remember some of the notes that she would send in with her dues monthly. But regardless, um, I was used to a approximately every two years, five years, getting a verbal tongue lashing for her, from her for something or other that she felt was egregious. So two weeks ago, she called the police on us at 2 a.m. and told them that we were following her around from room to room in our condo, whispering about, whispering about her and talking about her. And uh, prior to that, about every two weeks, if she saw me outside, she would start kind of verbally dressing me down. I've not engaged whatsoever. I don't even respond. I look at her, but over the past, she's gets mad if you talk to her. She gets mad if you don't talk to her. So 
Um, my question is, I'm trying to figure out what the best plan of action is. I've been trying to pray for her daily, and every time I think about this, which gets me quite upset. Why? I remember, just pray. Susan, why does that get you so upset? I know upset? you say sticks and stones may break my bones, but I guess I'm starting to get afraid of her because she's, every time she sees me now for the past six to eight weeks, she's screaming something at me. <laughs> How old is and she, Susan? How, how old is she? She's about, um, I think she's a couple years older than me, so I'm going to say about 64, 65. Still rather young, uh, but what you said significantly was when she was having some struggles with paranoid ideation. Do you know what that is, paranoid ideation? No. She's thinking very unrealistic thoughts about um, being assaulted or persecuted or watched over, which are completely disconnected from reality. A rational person, even if they're difficult and surly, would not say you're following me around my apartment and you're listening to what I'm whispering. Okay, now that's just, if she said that, that's really, really, on the border, if not over, crazy thinking. Well, see, and this is because this is what the police told us. Because I called the police, not just as a non-emergency, because I was trying to figure out: Do I file a police report? Because every, I mean, it's to the point where every time I go outside, I'm getting heart palpitations because my mother lives three doors down. I don't want her to start bothering my mom. So far, she's not been violent or physical. She's not destroyed, you know, or damaged any of our property. But I'm getting afraid but at the same time my husband says if we make a police report it could make things a lot worse so i'm kind of struggling what to do here <laughs> i'm going to give you a guess susan obviously i'd need to know four more hours of details my suggestion <laughs> would be at this point you just quickly walk away from her as soon as she starts just walk away mm -hmm. walk away if she follows you and she threatens you in any way you turn to her and you say please stop this is harassment. This is physic. This is assault, and that is that that under I think under the legal definition, that kind of chasing somebody and screaming at them comes under the definition of assault. So you tell her that. If it gets worse, if pretty soon she starts getting really irrational, and it sounds like she is, you probably are going to have to take some action because there may be something going on with her that uh, is not psychological, it's neurological. I don't know, I can't say, but keep an eye on where this goes and uh, don't give her any power to upset you other than taking moves for your own personal protection. That was faux music. That was music from the first time that Susan called. It was not music from a break now. We're just heading into a soft break, so I got a little bit of wiggle room. Susan, did you, did you hear what she said significantly? She said, I'm having heart palpitations, sounding like she's afraid to go outside. Now, up to this point, the, women ha the woman has only been verbally nasty. Hasn't thrown anything, hasn't assaulted. I don't agree with the husband. Here, here's why I don't agree when he says it would make it worse, 
there's a lot of debate about restraining orders and how useful they are. Typically, they they can be provocative to someone when this person has had a long history of acting out or a long history of assaultiveness in a relationship or stalking, something along those lines, or has had a history of uh, illegal conduct. In this case, this woman is just very mean. And uh, Susan didn't say this, but I would seriously doubt that she's had any contact with the law. So more than likely the presence of police officers. Now, she's already had one. I don't know what they did regarding her paranoia, but it sounded like they didn't follow through with Susan, so they were aware that this was paranoid thinking. But a warning from the police officers that this kind of behavior could get her in legal trouble, trouble, maybe a day or two in the county jail, uh, may tone her down, especially if it gets to the point where Susan's getting afraid to go outside. If, in fact, and this is what Susan said about, now you might be thinking to yourself, Dr. Ray, why didn't you say these things to Susan? Well, I didn't have enough time. Okay. If, in fact, the lady starts to harass Susan's mother. Now, Susan's 64, so I got to believe her mother's in her 80s, maybe 90s. So she would be probably much less able to deal with this kind of threatening conduct. That's where I would call police immediately, flat out. There, I, I would have no wiggle room on something like that. Police would be called. And I would give them an earful about this lady. Um, had to had similar situation in our own in our own family where we had to do it, and the police officer simply called the person, and that was it. The person stopped completely, totally stopped. It was over. But there was massive amount of harassment, constant phone calls, constant threats, uh, even even a visit to the house. So we finally went to the police, and the police called. And just left a message, and that was some months ago, and no contact since. So given given all that, Susan has to assess the degree of threat. She probably would do well just, as I said, to turn and walk away immediately as soon as this woman comes out in a threatening stance. You know, she comes, the, the Wicked Witch of the West. You can see her coming at you turn and just walk in the house. Dr. Ray, I don't think she should have to leave her own front lawn because of somebody. Yeah, but I think what we're hoping will happen is that this woman will realize that any of this kind of conduct is not going to be at all received, so therefore she may stop doing it. That's that's the hope. You only, you only can know if you try it. Uh, if the woman follows her screaming, that's when I think, as I said, she should turn and warn her. This is harassment. Please stop. In the past, the woman has been nasty, very, very nasty. I don't know if the paranoia is related to any of that or if it's two separate, two completely separate things. But it's kind of unusual at age 64 to have that kind of paranoid thinking disconnected from reality that is 
first of all, first time, it's very unusual. And most of the time that that happens is that there is an incipient, a beginning, neurological deterioration. Now, that 64 is kind of early for this, but something has to explain that paranoia. This is Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. As a Catholic mom, I know that parenting can be hard, frustrating, and lonely. But it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I'm Lisa Popcheck from More to Life, inviting you to become a premium member of Catholic Home. That's CatholicHOM.com. It's an online community dedicated to supporting Catholic parents like you. At Catholic Home, you can chat with our team of family life coaches every day, get expert help with discipline issues, self-care, creating a stronger marriage, living your faith at home, or just coping with the stress of being a Catholic parent in today's world. In addition to personalized expert support, you'll get access to tons of creative resources, entertaining videos that teach your kids how to get along and love the Lord, downloadable activities, monthly live parenting Q&As, and a supportive community and tons of other benefits, like my Momfidence podcast. Go to CatholicHOM.com today and become a premium member of the Catholic Home Community. Again, that's CatholicHOM.com. I can't wait to see you there. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things you don't believe in, there are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Sometimes you get hit really hard to change your perspective. It's an unusual person who can change their perspective on life, on their outlook on life, without getting hit really hard. Mindy said I had to get hit really hard. Mindy from Ohio. You know, I'm 44 years old and healthy, have two teenagers, and, um, you know, just thought, you know, things were really different before I was diagnosed last year. You know, you do think you have all the time and, you know, things just seem like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And you procrastinate here and there. And then when you're diagnosed, you think, well, I need to think a little bit deeper into this whole God thing. You know, maybe there is something. (laughs) So that just kind of provoked me to think, you know, things did change once I realized, wow, you know, I could be gone tomorrow. So what does this mean for me personally? And so I just thought I'd share that. You got hit upside the head with a two-by-four. Yeah. God said, I I better let something get her attention here. Now, he didn't give you the cancer, obviously, but sure, he, sure. he used it to wake you up. He sure did. Well, here's a question, Mindy. Since then, I, it says here your your chemo was successful. Is that is that uh, yep, fair to yep. say? Okay. Yep. God bless you. It is. 
So since then, have you said, Lord, thank you for the cancer? You know, I I think that I actually, um, I think that in some ways I have because I I take, uh, I do after-hours therapy, uh, I I do pre-screens, emergency assessments that the ERs call and say, hey, we got another one or we got somebody that needs to be admitted and I need you to, you know, so I do their assessments. I do their diagnostic assessments to make sure, you know, okay, do do, do you need to go home? Do you need to go to the ER? And I think before I had cancer. I did it very methodically, really objectively, with no real emotion. And after I was diagnosed with cancer, I listened to patients differently. I really, really think I do. Oh, Mindy, I'm so glad that you decided out of this yeah. to say to God, Okie dokie, I'm going to look into this whole question a little more than I have. That's right. How nice, Mindy. God bless you. Be well. <laughs> had some contact recently with a group of prisoners there for serious offenses there for many 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 years guys been there 20 30 40 years for an offense that they committed when they were 19 or 22 or 23 and they all had become Christians I think legitimately so not prison religion which is more common maybe in short-term county facilities but in long-term institutional correctional settings uh, you're going to become a Christian it's going to be something you're going to do because you're going to be there for a long time and the one of the points they made was parallel to what uh, Mindy was saying which is prior to that God wasn't anywhere wasn't anywhere on the radar now I don't know if that's the case with Mindy but for them it was God was no part of their lives and some of them obviously didn't want to be incarcerated but in essence they said it saved their souls and in the end they may find out that being incarcerated for 27 years the prime of life actually was the element that God used and I even told those guys that I said you got hit by a two-by-four because no amount of words or no amount of persuasion was going to convince you to look into this, to even think about the possibility that this whole Christian thing is real. Part of it. But when everything was stripped from them, they looked at it. And they looked at it on its merits and on its logic. And they said there's something to this. And I think that's what happened with Mindy. She just lived as though tomorrow was forever. And when she found out it wasn't, or that it could be taken from her, I I love the way she put it. Uh, I'd better look into this God thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, What a blessing that was for her. It's amazing sometimes people don't, though, even when they're hit with a two-by-four. Thank you for joining me. This is Dr. Ray on The Doctor Is In on this Look Back Friday. Thanks, Andrew Kruchek. Thank you for your company. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.